I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror Show. We are in Michigan this week. Michigan. Yes, the great state of Michigan, which has pretty much all the Great Lakes right there. It's true. It's true. I think it touches four out of the five. Yeah, it does. More than any other state. It has some weird state nicknames like the Wolverine State, but I guess there's no Wolverines really left in Michigan. <laughs> yeah, I don't really think of Wolverines <laughs> as being in Michigan. Well, I know it's the uh, like the the mascot for like the University of Michigan or Michigan State University. Oh, I is forget. it? I think so. It's one of them. I do have some fun facts about Michigan, though. Whenever you're ready, I can start regaling you with them. I am ready. Hit me with them. All right, here we go. Hit me, baby, one more time. <laughs> Michigan style. <laughs> so Michigan's made up of two large land masses, the upper and lower peninsulas, and therefore it has over 3,000 miles of freshwater shoreline, which means it has the most freshwater shoreline out of any U.S. state. I'm pretty sure it does because it's pretty much all water. Yep, all water. <laughs> Bonus fun fact, the upper and lower peninsulas are connected by the Mackinac Bridge, lovingly referred to as Big Mac or Mighty Mac by local residents. Big Mac. Big Mac. Drop to lay on the Big Mac. <laughs> uh, the bridge stretches almost five miles across a strait between Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, making it the longest suspension bridge in the Western Hemisphere. I think I did read that when doing my notes somewhere. Oh, so you know that fun fact, too. Eden, do you like being near water? Of course I do. Me too. I love it. And Except when it floods like it recently did. Ugh, yeah, I know. Like one of my dreams is to live near water or have like a lake house or something. Except, Me too. Except when it rains yeah. and I'm like, no, I don't want a lake house. <laughs> there's, um, you know where Sailorsburg is, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's this, um, this restaurant that my parents like to eat at there because it's really nice. It's like on the water and there's all these houses on the water there. Right. One of them has like this porch that like, you can like dip your feet off the side of and you're in the water. And I thought it was like the coolest thing ever, but I'm like, what happens when it floods? You don't um, leave anything on that porch. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, apparently if you love water, Michigan is the perfect place to be. Aside from its close proximity to the Great Lakes and its crazy amazing amount of shoreline, Michigan has an estimated 65,000 inland lakes and ponds. This puts any person in the state within a distance of about six miles of water from a natural water source. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, it kind of seemed weird to me because when I was reading, I was like, oh, yeah, Michigan's the land of 10,000 lakes. And I realized, no, no, that's Minnesota. That's Minnesota. Uh, I, wow. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I guess because Michigan has more than 10,000 lakes. Pro probably. It's got nothing but water, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of land, too. I'm... I, exaggerating a bit but there's the whole hell of a lot of water speaking of water because that's my favorite fun fact that michigan has so much water and <laughs> you know we don't uh, we're completely landlocked except for that great lake erie yeah <laughs> uh, michigan is the only state to have a floating zip code and post office in the entire world actually what? not just states entire world they have a floating zip code and post office the jw westcott 2 is the post office slash mail delivery boat that delivers mail to ships on water. Uh, and it's mostly ships that are on the Tr Detroit River or on the Great Lakes. If you need to send a letter or a package to somebody on one of those ships, you can address it to your recipient's name and vessel, followed by Marine Post Office, Detroit, Michigan, 48222. Wow. Boat mail, it's a thing. Who knew? Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, another thing about Michigan, of course, 
Uh, I know we visited a lot of haunted lighthouses in Maine, but did you know that Michigan actually has the most lighthouses out of any U.S. state? Huh, I would have thought it would have been like Maine. Yeah, you don't think much because you're like, oh, it's, it's there's lots of lakes and stuff, but... But great, not like the ocean, yeah. Right, but the Great Lakes are pretty tumultuous, so They're they can huge. be... They're huge, yeah. Uh, there's over 150 lighthouses in Michigan compared to like the 65 that Maine has. Wow. So maybe I should have waited to do my lighthouse, haunted maybe, lighthouse stories yeah. until Michigan. I did Michigan. see quite a few haunted lighthouses. <laughs> so those are those are my fun facts for, for Michigan. Sorry, I got really fascinated by the amount of water and all the uh, shoreline because I think I really, really want to go to the beach. So oh, it's me too. kind of stuck in my head. I'm just sick of being not able to do anything right now, you know? Oh, bonus, bonus fun fact. Apparently, there's certain beaches in Michigan where they have what they call singing sand. Singing sand. Yeah, I guess like there's certain areas of the world. There's a lot of singing sand beaches in like the UK as well. Does it sing circle in the sand? <laughs> It'd be amazing if it did. <laughs> uh, I checked out some videos from one one place in particular in Michigan that has singing sand, and it kind of squeaks when you walk on it. Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about now. I, I never heard of that before. Yeah, I'm like that's super cool. Um, I have no idea how it works science wise. I, I'm but, guessing something with the air and the yeah, eroded rock. Yeah, something about the particles of sand and the yeah. water. But yeah, so you can like squeak your way down to the beach and enjoy a lovely sunset. Because huh. <laughs> yeah, all all sand is is eroded like Rocks, quartz crystal right? pretty much mm. that just washes up. Like when you put it under a microscope, it's like bits of shell and it's bits of like quartz. Cool. And, yeah, it's really cool. That's awesome. But yeah, that's my bonus bonus fun fact for Michigan. Bonus, bonus, fun fact. Yeah, bonus, bonus. I'm glad that we have those now. <laughs> so you have a true crime story. I do, and it's a doozy. Oh, I'm excited. You said it might be a little bit of a l- longer story. So a little longer, yeah. I'm going to settle on in and get ready for your tale of tragedy and mayhem, hopefully. Tragedy and mayhem would be the right words, yes. Excellent. All right. My story only partly takes place in Michigan, but it was too crazy not to cover, so here we go. For the sake of an intro, we'll say it takes place in Iron River, Michigan. Uh, It's in Iron County, which makes me wonder if other towns in the county have iron in their names as well. I did find an Iron Mountain and an Ironwood, but neither of those were in Iron County. Mm, That's a missed opportunity. Yeah, they were in the same general area of the state. Um, This county is not in the actual mitt part of the state. It's in the little extra bit that's attached to Minnesota, a.k.a. the Upper Peninsula. (laughs) Um, it's a little under seven square miles in area and has a population of a little over 3000. Unfortunately, even though it's small, it does have a high crime rate. Mm, That's upsetting. But from what I noticed about a lot of places in Michigan is the crime rate's pretty high. Hmm. Um, it's known for its forests, lakes, and winter sports. It's also in close proximity to the largest of the Great Lakes, Lake Superior. People like to go ice fishing in the lakes in the winter and to the quote-unquote beaches in summer since it's a thing to turn every Great Lake area into a beach. Erie does it too. So speaking of things that are eerie, so (laughs) is my story. Very nice. Nice. (laughs) Thank you. I worked hard on that one. It's a weird, weird story and pretty recent as well. This is the story of Kelly M. Cochran. Does it ring a bell? Yeah, I came across her by accident and I was so enthralled that I had to do it. Cool. This is going to be another story where the timeline is going to be quite screwy, so I hope I can do this one justice. 
Usually when a story doesn't have a good timeline, I try to find something to watch because they're usually better at it. But even the show I watched didn't help. If anything, it made it worse. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so here we go. We're going to try it. Kelly was born on June 5th, 1982. I didn't find exactly where she was from, but I did narrow it down to somewhere in Lake County, Indiana. Okay. I also don't know much about her early life, so I guess we'll skip right ahead to her downfall. That was fast. Yes, it was. Once upon a time, in a land far away called Iron River, (laughs) (laughs) there lived a happy couple named Chris Regan and Terry O'Donnell. They had dated before a while back and met up when Chris came to Iron River. They were planning a life together and were very happy for a while until Terry went on a trip to England. Chris told her, look, since you're going to be away, I think I should tell you that I'm going to bang some other chicks. It doesn't mean anything, and you know I love you, but you do know my penis will fall off if I have to keep it in my pants this whole time, right? I mean, clearly, it's a physical ailment. It is, exactly. So, Terry wasn't very happy about this, obviously, from what I gathered. This was a big point of contention between them, and it led to them breaking up. Before this, they had planned on moving in together and moving to a different area, but none of that was going to happen now. Uh, The two did, for some reason, remain friends, which is something I don't think I'd be able to do. Chris decided to stay in Iron River even after the breakup, and he got a job at a place called Lakeshore Systems Incorporated. It's a company that produces mining equipment, and it's at this time that he meets a woman named, you guessed it, Kelly Cochran. Alrighty. From the sound of things, they did not have a romantic relationship, but they were involved in a sexual one. Uh, He didn't really talk to Terry about it much because they didn't tell each other who they were seeing. Chris and Kelly's relationship was a little weird, though, because they never were seen in public together, never went out to dinner or to the movies, none of that. Oh, so they were like super on the DL, like hookup. Yep, exactly. Uh, They were only together in his apartment, which was located over a grocery store that Terry's parents owned. That's so awkward. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And he and Kelly would hook up about four to five times in any given week. Uh, what none of them knew, however, was that Kelly was a two-timing biatch. She lived in the next town over in a small house with her husband. <gasps> no! Yep, she was married. They had recently moved from Murrayville, Indiana. And Chris was not her first hot little side piece, if you know what I'm saying. I, I do. Yeah. She was unfaithful many times before. Exactly. Okay, just checking. Some people say Kelly's husband, Jason Cochran, knew about the extramarital activities, while others say he didn't or was in denial about it. So we don't know for sure. So a little thing about Chris. He apparently has bad knees for which he did have surgery. He couldn't take the stress on his body working on his feet all day, so he needed to find a new job. He ended up getting a desk job, but it was all the way in Asheville, North Carolina, someplace that we've talked about on this podcast before. Yeah, that's quite the, quite the hike from, Min- from Michigan. Michigan, exactly. Uh, according to Kelly later on, she told people 
that he had wanted her to move with him down there, but that could just be Kelly. Whatever, Kelly. Yeah, exactly. You're not the most truthful, honest person in the world. So, <laughs> uh, so on one of his last nights in town, after giving his two weeks notice to his employer, Kelly calls him up feeling frisky. But this time, she invites him over to her house, which they had never done before. That seems weird. Yeah. I guess her husband was out of town? Who knows? I guess you'll find out. I guess I will. Um, so, what did she say to get him over there? I don't know if this is conjecture or a direct quote, but... The true crime daily episode that I watched had her say, quote, I'll cook you Italian for dinner and give you my body for dessert, end quote. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, it should come to no one's surprise at this point that Kelly was cooking up just a little more than Italian food. She also had an appetite for murder. <laughs> I know, so cheesy, but I had to. Murder with a side of oregano. <laughs> Oh, speaking of that. Oregano? Yeah, well, not just spices in general. <laughs> okay. Um, I saw this Facebook ad for this weird hair stuff that's like a powder. It's like a styling gel. Mm-hmm. It's like a powder that you put in your hair and move it around and it holds. And I looked up the uh, the ingredients and it was like ethanol, which I'm like, that's like in gas and stuff. Yeah. And then um, oh, I forget what it was, but something that's found in brake fluid. Wow. And then it said spices. I'm like, oh, let me shove some paprika in there, you know, <laughs> just make it look nice. Use controls the spice. Use controls your hair. Yeah. I'm like, this doesn't sound like anything I want to be putting on my head. So I'm <laughs> going to take a hard pass on this one. Thanks, Facebook ad. But it did look really cool if it works. So needless to say, this was the last anyone had seen of Chris Regan. He what? just disappears after going to her house. Mind you, no one knew where he was going because no one this... knew he was going to Asheville either or just oh, no one knew, no, they going knew that Ke- he was going to Asheville. Oh, they didn't no one know was going he to was... Ke- Kelly's. Yeah. Gotcha. In the next town over. Um, Kelly. Yeah. Although it seemed that he vanished without a trace since he was told explicitly not to talk to anyone about his illicit affair with Kelly, they were able to find his car in a park and ride four miles from Iron River. I believe the person that found it was Terry, but don't quote me on this. Okay. Um, I do know, however, that right after the car was found, Terry went to the police station to file a report. So that's why I'm assuming it was her who found the car. Or it was she, I guess I should say. Twas she. Twas she. She was able to speak to police chief Laura Frizzo. A lady chief. A lady chief. Nice. Yes. I love our strong female leads. I love lady cops. Ever since kindergarten cop, I love myself <laughs> some lady cops. It's not a tumor. Um, so Laura Frizzo, who after seeing her on True Crime Daily, I'm sure I've seen her before, unless she's just one of those faces, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I do watch a lot of true crime stuff, so who the hell knows? Um, she told her that there was a rumor that Chris was having an affair with a married woman, but that's really all that was said at this point, and that's all it was, a rumor. Hey, Eden, I mm. heard a rumor. Oh, God. <laughs> Thanks, Allison. Oh, God. You know how abu- abusive I would be with that power? I heard a rumor you want to get me a soda. I heard a rumor you want to cook me dinner. I heard a rumor that I should be getting a pay raise. <laughs> Oh, I'd use it so much. Um, 
They were only able to put a name to this mystery woman because Terry spoke with HR at Chris's old job where Kelly also worked. Oh. Yeah. So that's what they're able to be like, you know what? I think he's been sleeping with Kelly. You know what they say? Don't poop or eat. Exactly. Now, my mind, as did the mind of a few others, immediately went to, let's check out the husband of this woman he's been having the affair with. Occam's razor, the simplest explanation is often the right one. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the lead detective on the case had a different view on this. He thought Chris either ran off of his own free will or committed suicide somewhere. That's a weird jump. I know. For somebody who like just got a new job that yes. he's looking forward to. Exactly. So doesn't really seem like the kind of guy that would commit suicide. Yeah. To be honest. Um. Yeah, so that's what they thought. Chief Frizzo was the driving force behind actually investigating further from what I gather, and they went to search Chris's car, which led them to a clue as to his whereabouts. On the seat of his car were directions to Kelly Cochran's house. Ooh. Yep. So they go to check this house out, and they spot someone staring out the upstairs window of the house, who is in fact Kelly, but they don't know that they don't really know what she looks like yet, so they can't tell that. <laughs> um, they get up to the front door, and a man answers the door, and they ask for Kelly. He replies saying, Kelly isn't home, and she did nothing wrong. Suspicious as fuck. Wow. And as soon as that was said, I just think of Freeway. I did nothing wrong. <laughs> Sorry, I did nothing wrong. But seriously, like, way to not play it cool, Jason. Like, exactly. Come on. Like, yeah, she did nothing wrong. Like, that just makes you look really fucking guilty, buddy. Ke- Kelly's not here right now. And also, she is in no way, shape, or form guilty of any sort of crime. Uh, Kelly's out shopping for shoes. <laughs> uh, so Kelly did end up coming downstairs, though. And she told police that she hadn't seen Chris in a few days and had no idea as to his whereabouts. Which, by this point, it had been a few weeks since his disappearance. Hmm. So saying a few days, that sounds really suspicious. Kelly, Kelly, Kelly. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get that top. Nope. So when asked about the car, she did slip up a little and she said, that's odd. He loved that car. She was already using the past tense. <gasps> Girl. Yep. They take them down to the station to answer some more questions. And obviously Jason is the main suspect since he's the husband. This is where things got weird. They were asking him questions about Chris, and he just blurts out, I have a bad back. Sometimes when I sneeze, I can't walk. Does he think he's in a doctor's office? Like, <laughs> like it's like, so where do you think Chris is? I have a bad back. Sometimes when I sneeze, I can't walk. Okay, sir, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> Thanks for that, though. I think he was, like, trying to, like, deflect. Yeah. And be like, like well, I couldn't have done anything because I have a bad back. Yeah. But, but awkwardly, and again, this guy... He not not mm-mm. not the brightest. No, not the not the coolest under pressure. No. When they interview Kelly, she goes on and on about their sex life for a while, saying, "quote We sometimes didn't even make it to the bedroom." End quote. So she's basically talking herself up like, "I'm a horny woman. I need it, and I need it now." <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um. She also denied that he came over to her place saying that uh, she went over there that night and uh, the phone records proved that this was just a big old lie because they could see exactly when they had been in contact. Mm. 
Um, oh, and there was also surveillance footage of her at his apartment two days after he disappeared. And there's footage from him filling up his car at a gas station on the way to her house. So shut your lying lie hole, Kelly. That's all it's good for. Lying. <laughs> yeah, right. They didn't have any hard evidence, so they couldn't place either of them under arrest or anything. And shortly after this, the two move back to Indiana, where Kelly still can't get enough loving, and this time starts having another affair with a woman. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Um, I don't think the police even needed a warrant to search the house now, since the Cochrans tucked tail and ran back to Indiana. Uh, and they found a few things straight away. And that was in the, their house in Michigan, yeah? Yes. Okay. Uh, they found a loaded pistol under the TV in the living room, as well as blood spatter pretty much right when they came in. Why would you leave why that? Why would you, yeah. Why would you not clean up? Why would you... Oh, I meant the TV. The TV. Oh, yes. Oh, sorry. Well, the gun, too. The, the gun, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfectly good working TV. Um, yeah, I don't know. As they dug deeper and searched the car again, they came away with fibers of hair as well as leaves stuck in the trunk of the car. Like where the trunk closes. No. Okay. Okay. I thought you meant like, so not like in the inside. Probably inside too. Okay. But like definitely like somebody had pushed something that had leaves on it into the car. Gotcha. So since you know I love forensics, I jumped out of my seat when I read that. Of course. Obviously, they can test the fibers and hair to get DNA and other information, but the leaves were great, too, because since they figured that he definitely was dead at this point, the leaves can help pinpoint where the body may have been dumped. Ooh, that's cool. I never think about leaves. Oh, yeah. You always think about dirt and stuff Mm -hmm. because, like, you know, the treads of your shoes and tire treads can pick up dirt from all places, but leaves are that makes so much sense. Yeah, the leaves, like a lot of times bugs on the body will Mm -hmm. tell you as well. Yeah. Cool. And that's another part of forensics that I had really wanted to get into, but I just, too much schooling. (laughs) Can't do it. I don't have that much time. I don't have much longer to live. Um, (laughs) Probably like 50 more years. Not enough time. (laughs) Um, So. They also checked the GPS in his car and found that it was set to find Kelly's house. So that's another big clue of where he was, if there was any doubt still. Mm, Kelly, Kelly, Kelly. I know, right? So Kelly also gets what I think we should start calling the Kim Rico Medal of Stupidity in Committing Murder. Because she Googled a satellite view of a place called the Caspian Pit, which is a water-filled pit. That was once used for mining, a.k.a. the perfect place to hide a body. (laughs) Yeah. And the Kim Rico Award goes to. Yeah. So Kim Rico Medal of Stupidity and Committing Murder. (laughs) There was no DNA evidence for this next clue they found, but they managed to find a burn barrel in the pit with a laundry cord and cement block in it. Um, The Cochran's did own something like it, like it. But it was missing. Interesting. So, so to no... this day, we still don't know if it was theirs, but we're pretty certain. Yeah. So it's like that circumstantial piece of evidence. Yep. Gotcha. They go the extra miles here for this one and hire a psychic to take a look around the house. <laughs> she saw a vision of Chris being attacked on the stairs just past the front door of the house with a bat or similar object. 
Uh, so there's still no concrete evidence linking the Cochrans to this murder or even a body to prove a murder did take place. So that's where we are at this point. Meanwhile, back in Indiana, doodaloo, doodaloo, doodaloo. things are getting serious with this new girl of Kelly's, and she asked her to be in an actual honest-to-God relationship with her, which I didn't think Kelly was, you know, going to do. Yeah, that's surprising. That's an unKelly kelly thing. Uh, so sometime after this, Kelly calls 911 because her husband supposedly did just a bit too much heroin and was unresponsive. What? Yes. So police chief Frizzo, being a smart lady, can smell something fishy about that one too and ask a police detective in Indiana to speak with Kelly. And since Kelly can't help herself, she just starts flirting with him. So when her lady cat growls, stand back. <laughs> When her lady cat growls. Oh, and I should also mention that uh, her husband is now dead, of course, from that heroin overdose. Yeah, poor Jason. Yeah. Well, probably not poor Jason, but we'll get to that. Wow. After this, the two start texting back and forth and form some sort of bond. The detective pretended to think that she was innocent and she was eating it up. Police were getting close to making their move to arrest her at this point uh, in the death of her husband. And I think that she got spooked because she was picked up in Wingo, Kentucky by U.S. Marshals and held in their jail where she fashioned a shank out of a pair of glasses where she was going to stab one of the corrections officers. But I guess thought better of it because that never ended up happening. Whoa, Kelly, that escalated quickly. I know. She was just like, well, I'm in here. Gotta kill a bitch. I know. It's like, I get that you're checking things off of your bucket list right now. But seriously, wow, calm down. Bring it down like several notches. Yes, yes. Can't always keep those speakers cranked up to 11. <laughs> so when the police went to interrogate her about her husband's murder again, she said that she'd talk if she had immunity. They didn't go for this, and she just shuts her mouth. So she's finally shutting her lying lie hole, but, you know, not when I wanted her to. Yeah, that's a weird proposition for police, too. Yeah. Being like, I'll tell you what happened, but I need immunity. It's like, you probably killed him unless you're going to posit yeah. some crazy-ass theory that somebody else was out to get him. Exactly. Immunity is more for people who are, like, accessories, not yeah. for the actual murderer. Mur yeah. Mm, Kelly. Um. Yeah, so she's a bit of a dumb, dumb head, but, you know. So they concoct a scheme to get her to talk since they don't really have anything else they can do right now. Mm-hmm. They get a friend of Jason's to make a fake letter from Jason to say that his friend had instructions to give it to police if anything happened to Jason. What? Yes. Nice. That's such a creepy, sneaky cop thing. I know, right? That's almost as good as uh, the other one. Um, Where they had the two uh, suspects in rooms next to each other? No, not that one. Oh. I'm talking about um, Susan Smith. Oh, uh, where they're going to be like, look, here's the story in a newspaper about a mother who killed her children. Yes. And now she lives a normal life. Yes. Um, yeah. So definitely a good scheme, I will say. Uh, she fell for the scheme, too, and she breaks down crying. Another thing I didn't know she was capable of. Kelly, Kelly, Kelly. So she goes in for more interrogation and holds hands with a cop that she thinks is like her new boyfriend person or whatever and just lets it out. Uh, she tells the detective that she shot Jason up with heroin and then smothered him. Oh. So she fully admits to that. 
After this confession, she just keeps talking and confesses to everything about Chris, from luring him over to her house outside town. Uh, Chris came in, got naked, they had sex. They were then at the top of the stairs, and Jason shot Chris with a rifle at that moment. It was really confusing at this point because Kelly's story kind of went all over the place, and she said her husband, quote, downsized him, meaning he dismembered him. Oh my God. Yeah. Also, That's an awful term. Her story of events does not really make sense with um, her husband shooting him from the stairs because it was just, it didn't work with how the, they found the physical evidence. Yes. It's also kind of weird too because, like, what motive would she have other than he was leaving her? We'll get to that. Oh, okay. I won't, I won't jump ahead then. Um, we'll definitely get to that because it's crazy. Um, so first, uh, she said that he used a chisel, which makes absolutely no sense to dismember this body. Uh, yeah, makes no sense. And then she says that he used an electric handsaw, which seems a little more realistic. Okay. According to Kelly, he did this in the basement and she was not there to witness it. So then how would she know? <laughs> um, she said that they then burned everything in a barrel, dumped it in the Caspian pit. And then disposed of Chris's remains in the woods. So after being remanded, she says that she feels bad and wants to give Chris a proper burial. So she leads cops into the woods where Chris's remains are supposed to be. Okay. It seems more like a game to her because she's taking all these smoke breaks and she makes sure it takes long enough that they have to order lunch out, etc., etc. Oh, one of those killers. Yeah. Uh, they did eventually find Chris's body in the woods, though. So they were able to collect what they could find. That's good. At least his family has a little bit of closure. Yeah, they just like they came across like a skull, like there was no skin left. I don't know how that happened so quickly, but wild animals, bugs, maybe. Yeah. Um, so in court, she blamed everything on Jason and said that he had nothing. It said that she had nothing to do with it. It was hard to put together dates for everything, but... Um, I think Chris was murdered in 2014, from what I could find, somewhere in 2014. Her husband was killed in 2016, and she's been in jail since 2018. Hmm. So while in prison, she makes this claim that she's killed up to 20-some other people in her life, but they suspect the real number to be around five to nine. So she's definitely a serial killer. What? Yes. And she finally got... what? So much to unpack here, but continue, because I'm so curious to see about, like... Yeah. Where this is continuing to go. Oh, I'm almost done, but it's still nuts. Um, when Terry saw Kelly in court, she said it was, quote, like the devil staring at you. She also said that Kelly was staring and grinning the entire time. Creepy. There's also a claim that she should also earn our other medal, the Joe Metheny Culinary Arts Award, <gasps> as she may have served up one of her victims as barbecue. No. Yep. So barbecue is apparently the preferred food of choice for human remains, it seems. I I don't know. Gross. Barbecue pork is so good. I get it. It's gross, though. Super gross. Never eating it again. Um, So you might be wondering who these other victims are as well. Yeah. Like, seriously, like, she doesn't seem to be, like, a criminal mastermind. So it's, like, shocking that she would have killed these many, as many people. Yeah, exactly. Um, So while we don't know for sure. Okay. My money is on past lovers that she's had because she seemed to have a ton. Um, she and her husband apparently made a pact that whenever they would have affairs, they had to kill the person after that. What? So, like, they had an affair with someone, they had to kill this person they were having the affair with. 
I'm like flabbergasted. Yeah. That's such a weird fucked up murder plot. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Murder packed. True love, man. So. Uh, <laughs> wow. I, yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a, there's a peg for every hole, I guess. I, right. I mean, uh, two people like that kind of deserve each other, I guess, <sighs> because wow. No but wonder one of them ended up dead. Seriously. There really is a person for everyone. Um, her motive for killing her husband was supposedly for killing Chris. Mm-hmm. But doesn't make a lot of sense. I think he was probably going to tell on her. Mm-hmm. Probably going to go to police. Um, so I hope that you've enjoyed this wild ride of a story, everyone. Uh, what do you think of her, Nicole? One source referred to her as the bisexual black widow, which I find pretty fitting. I suppose I find that a little inflammatory, but you know what nickname from the press isn't? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, the pig lady, for God's sakes, oh, never God, forget the pig that lady. one. Yeah, I just, I'm still like flabbergasted. Like, it's so insane because if you think yeah. about it, thank God she's not like the brightest, you know, crayon in the box. Because, or she could have been doing this forever. Yeah, if you, if she, she definitely could have, like, if she had thought about it more, been more calculating. Yeah. She totally could have pinned Chris's murder on her husband and done like that whole, like, oh, I was terrified of him. The only way I could figure out to get rid of him was to you know, kill him and make it look like an accident. Yeah. Like I could totally see somebody who murders people like that yeah. in cold blood after you have affairs with them. Pull she that off. Gone with like the Eileen Warnos defense and be like, they were abusive. Yeah. 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 There's so many possibilities, but the fact that she's so cold blooded and like sociopathic that she's just like, whatevs. Yeah. Is just flabbergasting. Exactly. I you see why I had to cover this Absolutely. one Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. I thought this was like the craziest, craziest story. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I I still can't even believe that this ever happened because so, it's so sensational and so crazy. So you were saying this is like pretty recent. Like she got arrested in 2018. Is she, yeah. Has she been convicted or is she still going through trial? I'm pretty sure she's convicted. Okay. It was hard for me to find information. Just because, like, some things that are better known will have, like, you know, a plethora of information. This didn't have a Wikipedia page. This didn't have... Right. It's so new, too. Yeah. All it had was, like, was smaller news articles. Gotcha. Yeah. So it was tough to piece together. But I was like, screw it. I can't not do this one. Yeah, for real. Good job, though, finding Thank all you. that info. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, what I was able to find, my sources, were <laughs> Wikipedia for my intro, uh, Reddit, Murderpedia, investigationdiscovery.com, an episode of True Crime Daily, fox2detroit.com, nwitimes.com, indystar.com, rollingstone.com, mycrimelibrary.com, and chicagotribune.com. Excellent. Well, I need I need a break because I cannot believe the craziness of that story. Yeah, we need time for that to digest, as you probably do too. Uh, no barbecue though. Stay away from the barbecue, y'all. Nope. All right, we'll be back after a short break. And we are back. We're back. Nice little break. Nice break, yes. We did not have any barbecue. Yeah, I gotta... If I was thinking about being vegetarian before... Now now you've made a great case for it. Yeah, yeah. So, I have a delightful... It is pretty delightful, actually. I know I say delightful a lot when I talk about my stories, but this one actually genuinely is. That's good ends on a great note uh, but it is a paranormal story all right so today we're heading to michigan's largest and most populous city detroit the municipality of detroit is home to 
670,000 people, making it the 24th most populous city in the U.S. However, the greater Detroit metro area is much larger, and it's home to 4.3 million people. And it actually makes it the second largest metro area in the Midwest, after Chicago, of course. Uh, Founded in 1701 by Antoine de Lamothe sur de Cadillac, and settled by French colonists from New Orleans and fur traders from Montreal and Quebec, Detroit expanded during the 19th century with British and American settlements around the Great Lakes. All right. And that is a name that I remember. I just don't know who it was, but I do remember that name. Yeah. I think there's like a mountain named after him somewhere further east because he was an explorer um, from like Quebec. Yeah. Who did a lot of adventuring in his day. Uh, By the 1920s, based on the booming automobile industry and immigration, Detroit became a world-class industrial powerhouse, and it was actually the fourth largest city in the U.S. at that point. Wow. Yeah. I never knew Detroit was so big and prominent. Yeah. Uh, It held that standing through most of the mid-20th century. However, rising poverty and crime led to a rapid decrease in Detroit's population by the end of the 20th century, which I think is what we always think of as, you know, millennials. Detroit's kind of that, like, city where everybody leaves. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of you know, returning neighborhoods to nature because there aren't enough people to live there anymore. Yeah. But for the past 20 years, Detroit has had a little bit of a resurgence. Its economy has improved and it has seen quite a bit of revitalization of its city center and its waterfront. That's good because Detroit, I always think of as being like really dangerous. Yeah. So. It has its, it's had its up, its and downs throughout its history. And it has a little bit perhaps to do with the uh, creature I'm going to talk about a little, in oh, a little bit. Oh, you're doing a cryptid. It is a cryptid. Nice. Now, Detroit's often called the Motor City, and that nickname's very well deserved. Uh, aside from being home to three major automobile manufacturers, so General Motors, Chrysler, and Ford, it's also where the world f- saw a lot of firsts in the automotive world. It was the first place that cars were manufactured on assembly lines. The first miles of concrete highway were poured in Detroit. The first four-way, three-color traffic light was installed in Detroit. Wow. And it was also the site of the first urban highway, or the, freeway, depending on what part of the country you're from. That is true. Also, a byway is like the same thing, I think, too. Yeah. Yeah, all those different terms for it. The same thing. Too many freaking names. <laughs> Just like, is it a circle? Is it a square? Is it a roundabout? Is it a, you know? I like roundabout. I do like roundabout. It's a fun one. Uh, the other piece of culture let's say, that Detroit is known for is its robust musical history and continuing contributions to America's music scene. Live jazz performances were a mainstay of the city's nightlife since the 1940s, especially in the city's Black Bottom neighborhood. This vibrant music scene paved the way for influential blues, R&B, and soul musicians who would rise to national and international prominence on the legendary record label founded in the city, Motown. Motown, yep. During the 1960s and 70s, Motown Records, which was founded in Detroit by Barry Gordy in 1959, helped shape American popular music. It was mostly done through the work of artists like Stevie Wonder, The Temptations, The Four Tops, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Diana Ross and the Supremes, of course, The Jackson Five, Mm -hmm. Martha and the Vandellas, Gladys Knight and the Pips, and Marvin Gaye. The Motown sound created by these artists still shapes our music today. I know growing up, we listened to a ton of Motown. Yeah. So for me, it's definitely the sound of that time period. My mom loved Motown. Yeah, my dad did too. And surprisingly, Detroit also has been influential in 
genres outside of blues and R&B. The city is cited as the birthplace of techno music in the 19 early 80s, which I did not know. I didn't know that either. It's kind of awesome. Uh, artists such as Iggy Pop, Bob Seger, Alice Cooper, Kiss, Eminem, Kid Rock, The White Stripes, and Electric Six have all emerged or played an important part in the city's music scene. Cool. Now, there's a lot that's special about Detroit. So I was delighted, as I said in the intro, when I discovered that Detroit also has a unique legendary cryptid creature I'd never heard of in my entire life. Ooh, do tell. It's called the Non Rouge. Non Rouge. Okay, so it's French. Yes, it is French. Hence, you know, Detroit is French for the straight. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. I had to look it up. I was like, I feel but like I, could, I should know what this is. Now that you say it with the spelling, I can mm-hmm. totally see it. So have you ever heard of the Non Rouge? Uh, no, I have not. Yeah, it's. I'm like, wow. Apparently, it's a specific local to the city of Detroit creature. That's bizarre. All yeah, right. I've, I've never come across like a, a cryptid that's been isolated to a city in the same way. Yeah. Now, I was super intrigued when I first came upon this name, and I dug a little deeper. Uh, it's also been called the Demon of the Strait. Non Rouge is French for Red Dwarf. Mm-hmm. And the Non Rouge is often described as a grotesque, impish creature with a bright red face. It's said that in Detroit, when the non-rouge appears, that misfortune always follows. And tales of the non-rouge seem to indicate that this creature has an origin that blends legends from both the French settlers who came to the region and also the local indigenous culture in the region. Now, the non-rouge resembles the lutine. Have you ever heard of that creature before from France? I don't think so. It's this French sort of hobgoblin they're like a house elf kind of okay um they originated in normandy and it's a creature yeah it's a creature it's like i'm saying creature from harry potter oh creature it is a little bit like like dobby yes oh like dobby okay um i prefer dobby to creature anyway creature was a little bit of an asshole not that dobby wasn't to be honest but you know it's interesting so lutins like they're these dobby-esque creatures they're good or evil you can't see them unless you give them a red hat with two feathers in it and then they become visible to the human oh, eye. Yeah, I have heard about that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And then the other creature that it's sort of related to the 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 non rouges are these nature spirits um, from Algonquin mythology. Okay. So in Algonquin mythology, the world and humans were all created by the stone god. Mm-hmm. And then after he created man, he created these nature spirits to protect certain natural features or regions. So things like lakes, mountains, that sort of thing. Yeah. Some people say that the Non Rouge is a child of this stone god, and that's why he's always seen around the uh, strait that is near Detroit and the Detroit River and that sort of thing. Now, there's two camps about the belief on what the Non Rouge does. Some people say that the Non Rouge is a malevolent creature, a demon, if you will, and that when it appears, it brings fear and mischief with it. Mm-hmm. Others lean more towards the camp that believes that the non-rouge is actually a protector spirit, and it appears in the city to warn its residents of some kind of coming calamity. I'm kind of either way about it. I'll see what you think by the time I get through the end of the sightings of the non-rouge. Now, the non-rouge's involvement goes all the way back to Detroit's founding. According to legend, the founder of Detroit, Antoine de la Moth, Sir de Cadillac, was the guest of honor at a party in Chateau Chateau Saint-Louis in in Quebec. Now, all the colonial dignitaries and officials who were in Quebec at the time gathered to celebrate Sir de Cadillac's royal commission to establish a western fort near the Great Lakes. 
the idea was he would go out there, establish this fort, and help claim the lucrative fur trade out there for New France. The party was a bit of a send-off for Cadillac, whose expedition would be leaving Quebec in the coming days. So they had the best food and wine that they had available in the colony. As dinner wrapped up, the partygoers were treated to a special piece of entertainment. Palm readings by a fortune teller called Mère Monique. All right. She arrived in style and even had a black cat perched on her shoulder. Oh. Yeah, quite the, uh, the entertainer. That's Yeah, that's quite festive and fancy. So Mary Monique shows up and she begins reading the guest's palm. Everyone's totally tickled by the woman's talent and her accurate readings. When it's Cadillac's turn, she gazes into his palm and tells him that he would one day found a great city. Huh. Cadillac gets super excited about this and he asks her to continue and maybe he should have probably not pressed her for answers. <laughs> now, Marimonique t- tells him that while the future is not set in stone, it could be grim. She said that there would be much strife and bloodshed in the city that he would found. It would be in danger from natives and from British forces alike. She also went on to say that, quote, under a new flag, it would reach the height of prosperity which you and your wildest dreams could never picture. Hmm. Now, Cadillac continues to press her, and he asks more about the city he's supposed to found and also what's going to happen to all of his children, because he had quite a, quite, a, quite a few children. The fortune teller then warns him not to let his ambition run wild and that he should appease and flatter the non-rouge. If he was rude and offended the non-rouge, his fortune could be ruined. His children would inherit no wealth or titles, and his name would scarcely be known in the city he founds. This totally tickled Cadillac. So much so that when he got home later that night, he told his wife all about Marmonique's predictions, and they had a good laugh about it. Okay. Months later, Cadillac is in Michigan, and he founds Fort Detroit. And over the next few years, the fort and Cadillac prosper. But soon, he gets greedy. He starts demanding rent from local settlers and a bounty tax from the fur traders in and around Detroit. The residents of the new colony begin to grow discontent with Cadillac's leadership. And by 1707, there's lots of local grumblings about how they want someone new to come in. And it was unfair that they were paying all this taxes to Cadillac directly. One day, Cadillac and his wife are out on a walk. And they hear some men bitching about how bad the city's being run. Okay. One of them even mentions that he saw a petite non rouge. Cadillac's wife recoils and reminds her husband about the fortune teller's prediction. So Cadillac is like, oh, babe, come on, and laughs it off. And they keep walking. Suddenly, a demon-like creature scrambles across their path. The creature has a very red face with bright, glistening eyes and razor-sharp teeth. Huh. Its skin looks almost metallic with, quote, a cold gleam like the reflection of a polished surface, bewildering and dazzling to all who came within its focus. Creepy. Yes, super creepy. Cadillac is also creeped out and disgusted, and he takes his walking cane and whacks the creature with it, yelling, get out of my way, you red imp. <laughs> so literally the one thing you were not supposed, supposed to, to do, do. Yeah. he does it. The creature scampers, scampers away with a fiendish mocking laugh. That sounds like my dad. <laughs> he fiendish laugh? <laughs> no, 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 what he did to the, to the non-rouge. Um, because my dad, like, there's been, like, weird shadowy shit in my house before mm-hmm. my dad is very skeptical and does not believe in like any of that so he was trying to go into his bedroom the one night apparently he told like he and mom told me this like a while back a few months back uh he's trying to go to the bedroom the one night and there's like this black misty thing in front of him that he 
can't see through and you know he's just like what the hell is this and he just kind of like waves at it with his hands and <laughs> walks through it that's kind of delightful actually yeah uh, but yes that is very similar to cadillac's reaction to the non-rouge for sure uh so the interesting thing i don't think anything bad happened to your dad so far which is good fingers crossed knocking yes. on wood but just like Merminique predicted, Cadillac's good fortune start to tailspin. In 1708, he was charged with abuse of his authority, and by 1710, he was demoted and shipped off to Louisiana. Eventually, he was completely removed as a colonial officer altogether and had to return to France, where he was briefly imprisoned in the Bastille, and then spent the remainder of his life in litigation over his land rights around Fort Detroit. Holy shit. Well, yeah. that's quite the you know recompense. Yep, yep. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Over the next 300 years, the non-rouge has been spotted several times in Detroit, always before a tragedy. The Red Imp was spotted near the Detroit River on July 30th, 1763. The next day, British troops who were stationed in the area near Parents Creek were attacked by Pontiac, a local Native American leader, and they were overrun. Sixty British troops were killed or injured, and the nearby creek ran red with their blood. Damn. Not so fun fact. The creek's name... So it ran rouge with their blood. It ran rouge with their blood, yes. All right. But since they were British, they renamed the creek after that battle to Bloody Run Creek. That is a very apt name. Mm-hmm. See, if you meet a little red dude... Just be very, very nice to him, people. This yeah. is what this story should be telling you. If be you very nice to him. Any small creature, be nice. You know what? Just pretty much anyone in general. Yes, I agree. Nice. Just be nice. You never know. In the spring of 1805, several Detroit residents reported seeing the non-rouge running through the streets. In June, a fire nearly destroyed the entire city. Damn. During the War of 1812. General William Hall claimed to have seen the non-rouge grinning at him just before he surrendered Detroit to the British. Slightly more fun fact than our last one. Due to the surrender, General William Hall was court-martialed for treason, cowardice, neglect of duty, and unofficer-like conduct and sentenced to death by firing squad. Holy shit. And don't worry, though. He was uh, commuted. His sentence was commuted by James Madison since he had so many heroic acts during the Revolutionary War. They just dismissed him from his command. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. The non rouge was. He must have apologized after pissing this creature off. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> the non rouge was spotted again before riots in 1943, and then again, residents saw him in the streets in 1969 before a police raid on an unlicensed after hour bar triggered one of the deadliest and most destructive riots in American history. So the 1967 Detroit riots lasted for five days. And they surpassed the violence and property destruction of the earlier riot in 1943. Wow. Yeah. So kind of creepy. Every time you see something devastating happen to the city so far, people say, I saw a little red thing running through the streets. Yeah. Recent sightings of non-rouge have tapered off. The most recent one I could find was on March 1st, 1976, which was right before one of the worst ice storms to ever strike that area of the Midwest. Over 700,000 people in the Detroit area were without power after the storm, and the local city was shut down for weeks afterwards. The non-rouge is so much a part of Detroit legend that this odd creature even has its own celebration. Oh, I love when they do this. Yes, me too. 
I absolutely 100% would love to take part in this celebration, by the way. I would, too. It sounds super fun. I mean, I don't know what it is yet, but I still would like to. (laughs) So each spring, residents of the Midtown slash Cass Corridor neighborhood hold a community parade called the Marche du Nord Rouge, where the creature gets chased out of the city. Parade attendees are encouraged to wear costumes so that the Nord Rouge doesn't recognize them and bring them misfortune. Now, at the end of the parade... Oh, so March the month and March the action are the same thing in French as well. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, at the end of the parade each year, they all gather together and revelers burn an effigy of the Nord Rouge to banish it from the city for another year. Now, here's the great part, which I think is just so charming and delightful. Since 2011, a couple of associations, uh, two of them being the Friends of the Nord Rouge and We Are Nord Rouge, have organized these lighthearted, quote-unquote, protests at the banishment parades, and they carry signs that say things like, stop non-shame, non is nice, and don't dread the red. Don't dread the red. (laughs) so good, right? Very catchy. (laughs) Now, this merry group argues... it kind of sounds like something to get you to be down with communism. I know, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Don't dread the red. Don't dread the red. Or something for a period commercial. Oh, God. So these merry groups uh, that support the Non Rouge argue that the Non Rouge is the city's protector and shouldn't be blamed for the city's ills. And I mean, honestly, also considering Detroit's declining population, I don't think anybody should be banished from the city, particularly those who were there the longest. True. So that, Eden, is the tale of Detroit's special little cryptid, the Non Rouge. That was quite nuts. Right? Yeah. Like Apparently, I, you really don't want to get on this thing's bad side. No, you don't. I mean, it's like any kind of imp or hobgoblin or fairy. It's like they're great when they're nice. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you get off on the wrong foot with them, exactly. trouble comes comes a knocking. So, But yeah, I would love to go to that parade. It sounds awesome. It does sound fun. Unfortunately, of course, the 2020 parade's been canceled. Yeah, I figured. But hopefully it'll be back in 2021. Yeah. But yeah, that's the non-rouge. Uh, that brings me to a good point. So, guys, um, I know that we've been running our ad for the Pocono Witches Festival. Don't quite... Don't don't book your hotel rooms for Split Rock just yet. Yeah, because it's going to go 100% online. Uh, We will still be doing something. We're not sure what exactly we're doing at this point, but we will still be doing some sort of show that will be streamed or whatever. So, um, yeah, you can still see us... And we really look forward to you tuning in for that. But we will give you more details when they become available to us. Cool. So we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, before I forget, my sources for today's story were Wikipedia, Mental Floss, Atlas Obscura, Michigan's Other Side.com, WeirdLectures.com, and the Detroit Metro Times. Well, thank you very much for that, Nicole. So do you think it's real? Do you think it's not real? I I don't know. See, like, here's the thing. People say they see it. And it's also very close to these, not only like beliefs that came from the French settlers, but also from the local native population as well. Yeah. And it's, it's, to me, it's such a wonderful blend of uh, traditions and and, and, like mythology that I don't, I don't know. I think there's definitely something there, like, because being seen by a whole bunch of different people from different times and different cultures. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, it makes sense that there would be something there. And I love to say this to non-believers all the time. All myths come from some form of truth. True. So something had to inspire it. 
and I think I think I am of the camp that the non-rouge is like a protector. Yeah. Because that's what it seems that's to be. That's what nature spirits are supposed to be. Yeah. I don't feel like... I feel like if he actually did bring death and destruction, it would be yeah. m- much different stories. But that's just my two cents. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't necessarily believe the stories attached to it, especially not with um, Cadillac because it just seems a bit too perfect. perfect. Yeah. So when things are too perfect, they're usually not real or at least not completely real. It's true. It's true. I did read some funny articles about Cadillac where it's just like, of course he had a down, tar- terrible downfall tragedy. He was just, you know, a Yahoo adventurer who tried to get rich as quick as possible from in the new world. I'm like, wow. Exactly. Dang. Remember that, that painting we did for haunted paintings. Yeah. God, uh, man proposed. Man proposes, God disposes, or mm-hmm. the other way around, something like that. I don't no, know. I think get it right. Man proposes, God disposes. Yeah. Polar bears. Anyway. <laughs> yes, polar bears. I, I think that's that's our show for this week, gang. Hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to let us know how much you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate a rating and review on any of our platforms that our podcast is available on. It always helps to get our podcast out there for new listeners. It also really helps, you know, if you just word of mouth, just tell your friends, anyone that you know that's into true crime or paranormal stories or both, or, you know, if you think we're funny and you want other people to know that we're funny, <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, tell your friends, yeah. tell the whole damn world. You can also contact us directly and let us know how we're doing. You can reach out to us via email at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media at roadside horror show on facebook and instagram and at roadside horror on twitter as always i'd like to thank e massey for our intro and outro music and yox rocks design for our logo all right everybody until next week creep Creep on on, creeping on. on